Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, thank you, Joe, for that introduction. And uh, glad that you can join us uh, for another session of uh, Men's Roundtable uh, in the year of the plague. Um, we continue with our series, uh, Into the Wilderness, and uh, I have a song for you this morning. Um, the uh, topic that we're looking at this morning um, in our series is, are you willing to fight? And of course, we'll get into that and develop that. But um, the song that I wanted to offer you as we get started um, this morning is a song by Stephen and uh, Curtis Chapman. And uh, the song is Warrior. And obviously, by the name of the song, you can get the idea that this is uh, about a fight. Um, and I would just, uh, uh, you know, uh, ask you, uh, did you really think it was going to be easy? Um, so much of the gospel is about fighting. Uh, not fighting with, but fighting for. What are you fighting for? I want to read just a brief part of Stephen Curtis Chapman's song. Listen to this. And, of course, the song is on the back of your notes. I see the smoke on the horizon. I feel my heart pounding in my chest. I hear the war raging all around me, and somehow I feel like I was born for this. I can taste the fear but I choose courage as I raise my shield and lift my sword. And I fall on my knees, and I fight like a warrior. I am a warrior on my knees. I call on the name of the one who is conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror when I believe. The enemy trembles every time because he knows the battle is no longer mine. When I fall on my knees, and I fight like a warrior, like a warrior, oh, oh, oh. May you hear the voice of God, and may it open your heart to what he has for us this morning. Yes. Yeah. 
Again, I uh, welcome you to our uh, session this morning of uh, Men's uh, Roundtable. Uh, I'm here on my patio in uh, Fairhope with my good friends Bubba, Dan, and John, and I uh, hope God will speak to your heart this morning. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. Uh, the words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. We continue our series into the wilderness, so follow with me as I read the introductory paragraph on your notes, and I hope you printed your notes out. Into the wilderness, understanding and embracing the dark times of your life. Words translated as wilderness occur nearly 300 times in the Bible. Wilderness seasons are brutal, but God is powerfully at work in the wilderness seasons of our lives. The only question is, do we have eyes to see it, or ears to hear it, for that matter? In order for God to give us the choice whether or not to trust him, now listen to this, he must present us with a moment of crisis. Every time I read that phrase through these weeks, that saddens me that that's so true. But it are true. It are true. Um, there is nothing uh, that uh, naturally gravitates toward God in us. Um, what's in us is actually uh, pu pulling us away from God. And so since he wants to seek help, us to seek help from him, he brings us through the wilderness to remove all other help first. When we're in a wilderness season, it's easy to lose sight of God's protection, provision, and preparation. We might even wonder, how can I trust God's goodness when I'm in this desolate place? But remember Jesus. He went through the ultimate wilderness, the desolation and humiliation of dying under the curse of God. If that is the measure of God's love and commitment to us, then we can trust him in our own wilderness seasons. Let's journey together. 
So the piece that we want to look at in this wilderness, and, and who would have known when we started this in January, that we would be four months in uh, to our own uh, wilderness uh, with this pandemic. Um, but we're looking at, are you willing to fight? Um, it is going to be tough always, every day, every day. Yeah, there's peace and joy and, and love and all those things that God promises and, and gives us. Uh, but I always feel the resistance in my own heart and certainly around me in the world to that which God wants to do and that I want to do. Um, there's a fight going on in me and around me. So I want you to pick up your pen and let's go to work deliberately and intentionally. And I have three questions for you. First question that I would ask you to respond to is what are you battling right now? Who are most of your aggressive energies really aimed at in the course of a week? So the question is about what and who are you fighting? What are you fighting? Who are you fighting? And the who may just simply be myself. Uh, sometimes there's more of that internal battle going on. Um, um, and of course, uh, scripture calls it the old man and the new man, the flesh and the spirit. And that battle is constant. We often call it flowers and weeds, flowers and weeds. There's good things going on, bad things going on. But there's those external things as well. I mean, you may be fighting um, for your own purity, overcoming porn addiction, uh, any addiction. You may be fighting uh, for your families. I hope not with your families, but I know that's going on. We're fighting for our own minds and hearts, overcoming the anxieties and the fears that attack us, especially during this time of the pandemic, fighting for truth, fighting for our own faith. But there's a war going on. What's going on in you and around you? Second question that I ask you to respond to, what fears are you fighting? What are you really afraid of? That your addiction is going to come back? Um, I talked to a guy this week. He's uh, 60 days sober. He's excited. If you can stay sober during the pandemic, you got a good chance of doing better days, staying sober. But his wife is scared to death. She, she watches him every move he makes because she knows where he hides the alcohol or has hidden in the past. Fear, relationships, you don't know how to connect, you're losing your wife, losing your kids. Talk to a man this week that is alienated from his adult son. He doesn't know how to make right what is so wrong in that relationship. Uh, fear of financial uh, failure, business uh, uh, challenges, um, all of those sorts of things. What are you afraid of? That's part of the war that we're facing. And then finally, just ask you, who do you know that's in the wilderness now? All of us. Easy answer to that third question that we've consistently looked at. 
we're all in the wilderness. So are you willing to fight? Um, we continue uh, traveling with the children of Israel through the wilderness. God brings them out of Egypt takes them through the Red Sea, and as we've consistently said, the Red Sea were to the Old Testament believers what the resurrection is to the New Testament. All the Old Testament guys look back at the Red Sea, and any time they doubted whether or not God was really for them, they would point to the Red Sea, and they would tell their children about the Red Sea, just in the way that we, every Easter Sunday, except this year, uh, dress up and go to church and we tell our kids about the resurrection and the resurrection of Jesus anchors us into our faith. Red Sea, resurrection. And then rather than take them through an 11-day journey that would have been right up the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, God says no. Rather than 11 days walking, I'm going to take you through 40 years. 40 years in order for the generation of those that don't believe me and have complained to die out. And it was the generation, um, the younger generation that got to go into the promised land. And so God uh, comes to the, we come to the book of Numbers in this wilderness. And Numbers is full of great stories. Um, and we're going to look at several of those stories over the next few weeks. But um, this idea of are you going to fight, here's, here's how God intends to inspire us for the journey. He gives us great stories. Uh, most of the Bible is narrative, is stories. And when we reduce the Bible just to like a moral code or a, a moral guidebook, we miss the great epic, inspiring stories, and the heroes that God intended to bring us through the battle and to commit in the response to the question of will I commit is I will. I will. And that's what we're looking at today in this passage in Numbers that we're going to look at. Um, God gave Moses what is known as the Mosaic Covenant. And in that, um, he asked the children of Israel, would they pledge to follow him? And the answer is, I do. And when I do a wedding, when we see a, a, a wedding, in my mind, that's well done, um, we ask the um, couple Will they pledge their love to each other? And the answer is, I do. And that's the beginning of years together. And then, you know, we have a, a offering of a charge and some guidance and a little homily or a charge. Um, and just as Moses gave, was given the Ten Commandments, and the response of the children of Israel was, I receive, I receive those guidelines then in a good wedding, the couple says, I receive. I receive that charge. I receive those, gui those guiding guidelines. And then finally, when God gave Moses the Mosaic Covenant, he said, execute. 
be obedient. And the response was intended to be, I will, we will, we will fight, I will commit. And so in this passage that we're looking at, I'm going to take you through the third part of the covenantal response that is, I will, I will fight, I will commit. So turn over to Numbers 13, and let's look at a grasshopper giant of a story. Uh, most of you are aware of this. It's, uh, you know, um, it's interesting because as God prepares the children of Israel, that second generation, to cross over the Jordan and realize the promises that he's been giving his people uh, for years, um, he could have just said, uh, you know, go down three blocks, take a left, uh, right by the uh, billboard, keep going straight, you know, something like that. But no, he has a little drama. It's like he creates this incredible story, spy story, report, what are we going to do? Uh, rumors are spread throughout the people. I mean, there's all this drama because God uses stories to capture our heart. Now listen to the story. Um, God has told Moses, given Moses instructions to do a little spying into the promised land and scout out what it looks like. So um, he chooses 12 guys to go across the border. Um, verse 26 of chapter 13. They presented themselves before Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they reported these 12 spies to the whole congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Kind of a little farmer's market they set up, you know. Show what they had. And then they told the story of their trip. We went to the land to which you sent us and oh, it does flow with milk and honey. Just look at this fruit. The only thing, now here's the but, the only thing is that the people who live there are fierce. Their cities are huge and well fortified. Worse yet, we saw descendants of the giant Anak. Amalekites are spread out in the Negev. Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, and the, even the Mosquitoites hold the hill country, and the Canaanites are established on the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan. It's kind of a mixed bag. No problem with the fruit, but it's the people. Um, you know, it's like a pastor friend of mine said years ago, you know, if it wasn't for all those crazy people, the Great Commission would have been fulfilled a long time ago. It's people. And uh, the spies didn't have any problem with the fruit. <laughs> They were fine. They were fine with the fruit, um, but uh, it was the people. In fear, captured ten of them, ten out of twelve. Caleb interrupted. Now you can just mark right here. Caleb. Caleb interrupted. Called for silence before Moses and said, "I mean, can you see that? Everybody, quiet down." Caleb wanted to speak. This is what Caleb said. Let's go up and take the land now. We can do it. In your study Bible, it reads something like, we are well able to overcome it. We can do it. We can do it. 
But the other said, now listen to this, but the other said, we can't attack those people. They're way stronger than we are. They spread scary rumors among the people of Israel. They started rumors, you know, leaks, press leaks. They started leaking stuff to the press. And they said, quote, we scattered out the land from one end to the other. It's a land that swallows people whole. Everybody we saw was huge. Why, we even saw the Nephilim giants, the Anak giants, come from the Nephilim. And alongside them, we felt like grasshoppers. And they looked down on us as if we were grasshoppers. And what I want to do is break out into the song, Feelings, oh, those special feelings. Because that's what that was about. We felt like grasshoppers. And so because we feel fear and we feel like grasshoppers, we can't do it. So you're going to go on your feelings? Um, now, I get paid for working with feelings. Um, I believe in feelings. Feelings is an important piece of our reality. Um, but I often say that feelings are like caution lights. They're not red lights and they're not green lights. They don't tell us to stop and they don't tell us to go. But we need to be aware of what's going on. So what are you really afraid of? See, here's, here's, here's the process that God offers in this story, I believe. First of all, in this great story, he invites us to identify our fear. I mean, there's no doubt that fear can paralyze you and keep you from experiencing all that God wants. Um, I, I've often said, because it's been said to me um, from mentors that have coached me, if you really want to grow, if you're committed to growing, identify what you're afraid of and start attacking your fears. Because your fear is a much, much severe enemy than anything outside of you. It's our fear that will paralyze us. So th this story, once again, it's just like 10 guys say, no, we can't. And they start spreading rumors. But you know, we are invited to remember, and that's part of why God tells the stories, 12 men will go into the land, and there's only two guys that we remember. We name our children Joshua and Caleb. The other 10 guys aren't even mentioned. I mean, I know lots of families that have sons and daughters, or not sons and daughters, uh, uh, well, don't name your daughter Joshua. That that wouldn't be cool. But have sons um, that are named Caleb and Joshua. We remember these guys. They're heroes. God uses them to inspire us. We can do this. And yet, it's so easy to be intimidated. Intimidated. The people's countenance fell. They were intimidated by the size, by the mass, um, no eyes on God, no remembrance of God. They were intimidated. And, and Caleb calls them. 
in the midst of 10 of them spreading rumors, he calls them to this. We will overcome. Grasshoppers are giant killers. Joshua and Caleb, very clear. We can be giant killers. Ten spies. The majority, the majority is saying we can't do it. Um, great story. We're in the wilderness. We're going to play it safe or we're going to keep moving forward. Through this whole series, you know, we've used the uh, Band of Brothers uh, series as kind of our case study and our movie clips. And I, I, man, I just, I had um, just a great time on my patio um, on Sunday. I, I finished the last couple of uh, pieces of Band of Brothers and then watched the documentary again. I was weeping. I mean, I was, I mean, uh, as it's been said, uh, uh, the greatest generation. These guys were in the wilderness. They really were fighting, literally. No figurative speaking about fighting. They were hand-to-hand -hand combat. I want to show you a clip, and I hope what you'll see, there's, there's not a lot of dialogue in this clip. This is a clip, fix bayonets, fix bayonets. And I hope even as you see this, that somehow you will begin to uh, get a better idea of the fight that you're in, that we're in, and the need to execute a fighting spirit, a believing spirit, a faith um, spirit. Watch this. No, wait, wait for the signal.
He's telling me that they're Polish. Don't you believe it? There ain't no Poles in the SS. Move! Come see here. Lost. Send Lightning a contact report. Boyle! Get up there where you can spot the fall of those rounds. Go. Gentlemen, uh, we need to fight. Um, God gives us this story out of uh, numbers uh, to inspire us, uh, to take the land that he's promised um, to move out. And I want to break into just a little bit of uh, um, a, uh, a specific path that I want to encourage you with in light of where we are in our calendar. Um, Sunday is Father's Day. And, um, you know, the question that I asked you earlier hopefully alerted you to things that you're fighting for, uh, things that's fighting against you, fears that you have, uh, and you've got a list there, and I hope you'll be inspired by God's Word in numbers in any number of those. But I want to direct your attention to this idea of just Father's Day. Uh, those of us who are privileged uh, to be fathers, whether you're the father of toddlers uh, or you're a, a father of adult children like I am, um, it is a great privilege. And certainly when we become fathers, there is that question posed to us um, consciously or unconsciously, explicit or implicit, Will you commit? And um, I want to I want to take you through um, just some uh, thoughts about this idea of fighting for our children. And um, what a what a father will do, a good father. I believe that a good father will step up much in the way that God's uh, directing us um, as Christian men step of us fathers 
and say, I will, I will, I will execute uh, the role of fatherhood well. I will execute that which you've uh, directed me to as a father. Scripture doesn't say a lot specifically to dads. Of course, it's implied all through Scripture because God is our father. But in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, passage is very clear. Fathers, do not frustrate your children. Do not provoke them to anger is the idea, but to bring them up um, in the direction and the guidance and the admonition of the Lord. And so it's the idea that we are committed uh, to be fathers that guide our children and don't exasperate them. And, and I would suggest to you that, again, the idea of commitment is the idea of involvement. Don't tell me. <laughs> don't tell me that you're committed to your children and you don't show up. I mean, the idea of commitment is the idea of, of involvement. Um, it's like the old breakfast joke, you know, the uh, uh, chicken is involved, but the pig's committed. He lays down his life. And um, this Sunday, of course, is Father's Day. You know, it's an American holiday, um, that sort of thing. It's not a biblical holiday. But I think it's a great opportunity, guys, for us uh, to acknowledge our children. Now, I, I know uh, everybody's looking forward to your uh, uh, Sunday buffet after church, whatever, if you can find a place that's open. Uh, Mama's going to fix your uh, favorite meal, or at least the kids are, something. But, you know, I, I believe this is an opportunity for us as dads to write cards to our children. Uh, I've got my cards that I'm going to write to my girls. And that you would write to them rather than being disappointed that you didn't get a card. Uh, I, I'm amazed every year at the number of men that I talk to after Father's Day. And they're upset because that Father's Day didn't work out the way they wanted it to. Dude, be proactive. Take the initiative. That's what men do. Get involved, even in Father's Day. And I think there's um, three ways that we especially can be committed. Um, those three ways is, first of all, to grow. Um, most men are not committed to growth. Most men are committed to success or uh, pleasure. Um, um, having their uh, retirement fund uh, well-stocked or their golf game uh, improved. But the idea of growing is foreign to most men. I'm committed to grow. I'm committed to be whole and holy. I'm charged by God uh, to grow into being the uh, whole person, the holy person um, that God's called me to be. Um, growing physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. I would just even say, you know, physically, what are the, what are the things that you need to do to, to improve physically? Start exercising, you know, get the 20 pounds off that we've all gained during the pandemic. Um, being the best that you can be physically, emotionally, 
how about fear? How about that anxiety and worry? You know, as I've said to you through this uh, whole deal, I mean, I had to get back to the basics in my own life. And here on my patio, I start every morning uh, with uh, opening up my journal uh, and practicing those spiritual disciplines that I've taught for years, but had gotten slack in my own life. And um, I needed to get back to those um, in addressing my own fears and anxieties in this pandemic. I mean, in early March, man, I was a mess. I didn't know how this was going to affect uh, me personally, financially, uh, all the things that I love doing. And it's like, I want, I, I want to take this opportunity to grow. To me, it would be a great tragedy that somehow we get out of this. Of course, of course we'll get out of it by football season because ain't nobody going to mess with football season, you know. But whenever we get out of this, it would be a tragedy that we could not look back and say that we've not grown closer to the Lord, that we're better physically, that we're better emotionally, we're better in our relationships, especially with our children, and we're more bonded and intimately connected to God, committed to grow. I would say that, you know, the second piece, um, if we're going to fight this battle, is committed to heal. Most men that I talk to uh, have pretty uh, significant father wounds. Um, that there is issues going on in their life because of what their father said to them or um, in some ways much more painful what their fathers didn't say. Um, and those father wounds, when they're not healed, you know what happens? We just repeat them. We carry them on to the next generation and or we project them onto our wife. Working with a man uh, this week that uh, was very clear that he was abusing his wife. They came and sat with me and uh, man, when she reported what she reported, I just looked at him and I said, dude, that's abuse. He said, oh, Abuse, that's pretty strong words. I said, you're absolutely right, that's pretty strong words. That's abuse. And when I said that, big crocodile tears started rolling down her cheek. Somebody finally called the guy out. And, it, and as we worked in the session, um, I told him, I said, you know, your problem is not her. She's just in the way she's just in the road and unfortunately you're treating her like roadkill but I said until you deal with the issues with your father you're going to continue to abuse her and your kids because what you're doing is exactly what your dad did to you and you're just passing it on it's powerful to watch a man go through the painful process of forgiving his father and actually feeling compassion for a very broken man that happened to be his father and his father not change. Again, what, it, what I always say is like, we're, we're not trying to get your dad to change. I mean, you know, your dad's probably, you know, 60, 70, 
80. I mean, my dad's 92. I mean, how realistic would it be for me to need my dad to change? I mean, as long as he's uh, drinking water and eating a little bit of dinner, we're excited. But it's the idea that I can turn the anger and the pain of my relationship with my dad from my past to a place of forgiveness and compassion. How do you know you've forgiven your dad? When you start feeling genuine compassion for him, not, not feeling sorry for him. No, I mean, that kind of lets him off the hook. But no, you show him the hook. Here's the hook. The hook is real. The pain is real. But you can forgive him and move into a compassionate understand, understanding of he is a broken, broken man. And guys, I mean, you know, we talk about it in church, of course, and Sunday school and all that. Grace and forgiveness is powerful. But I'm telling you, when you infuse your angry heart with forgiveness and grace toward your father, that's when I see men really begin to heal. And until that father wound is dealt with, you're going to continue to act those wounds out with those that you love the most, your wife and your children. Commit to heal. I will. And then, and then finally, is this idea to give. I'm going to fight to give uh, to my children what they need. Fathers who really know how to give. And uh, Gary Smalley and John Trent uh, wrote a book years ago. Uh, entitled um, The Blessing. And they did the research um, on uh, what are the parts of the Jewish blessing that fathers gave to their children and what was a bar mitzvah and a bat mitzvah intended to be. And the five parts of the Jewish blessing, there on your notes, number one is touch. Man. I love hugging my girls. Now, they're grown. They're adult women. They're young women. But it is so important that we be physical with our children, whether they're two years old or 40 years old. Uh, physical touch is important. And, of course, you know, this pandemic thing, you know, nobody can touch anybody, and we're all just giving the peace sign to everybody and all that. But it's just like, wow, we need eye contact, which is a kind of form of physical touch, and literal physical touch. And, and guys, you fathers who especially have 12-year-old, 13-year-old, and 14-year-olds, you better be hugging them. Because I'm telling you, you know this, that we've all been in junior high, we've all been in early high school. If you ain't hugging them, guess who is? And you don't want some idiot in the back seat of a car hugging your 14-year-old. Physical touch. Get over your big bad self. I know your dad never hugged you and you've never known how to hug anybody. Get over it. Start 
hugging, lots of physical touch for your children. Secondly, in this whole idea of the Jewish blessing, is the spoken word of value. I love you is a simple statement of value. Again, on Sunday, when we celebrate Father's Day in Dallas, and I'm driving to Dallas today, I will have cards that I'll give to my daughters. I mean, I, I would like to think they'll give me a card. I think they will, and, you know, we'll, we'll do some fun things, and they'll have um, a couple of gifts, I think, I hope. But I want to give to them, and I will express in the card that I write them on Father's Day great value that I have toward them. And then thirdly, the third part of the Jewish blessing is word pictures of high value. I see you as something really special. Paint a picture. Give them a picture. Um, Dan, uh, my good friend here that's sitting on the patio, Dan started painting. It's part of his way of journaling. And he painted this incredible, incredible picture um, from down in Portugal, right? Then it was in Portugal. And uh, he's giving it to his daughter. It's great. I mean, man, what, what, a, what a card. It's a painting. And then fourthly is this idea of picturing a special future. I see family culture and family business, trying to help people using our gifts together. And then finally, the last part is a commitment to seeing the blessing fulfilled. I want my girls to know every day that I'm with them. I'm with you. I am with you. So commitment. I will. I'll be involved. I will commit to grow. I will commit to heal. And I will commit to give. I will fight for you. Are you willing to fight? Guys, we're in a battle. You sit back and do nothing then nothing won't happen. Something will happen, and it won't be good. We are called to fight. That is part of the gospel. May you fight well. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you that you've given us great stories, uh, heroes like Joshua and Caleb to inspire us, and I pray that we would be men who would understand the need to fight, and we would fight well uh, in your power. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just like me, just like we are supposed to be. Just like me, just like we are supposed to be. Just like me, just like we are supposed to be. Just like me, just like we are supposed to be. Just like me, just like we are supposed to be. Just like me, just like we are supposed to be. Just like me, just like we are sup